Jesus Bible and Current Events from a Christian Perspective, Battling Spiritual Wickedness in High Places, One Podcast at a Time. This is the High Places Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Jim. Uh, A couple things uh, tonight, just to pick up uh, on one or two things from the podcast we did last time about this shooting in Colorado. Uh, just because I'm always willing to give people a chance, I went back to CNN to see if um, to see if they had mentioned anything about the pentagram or the 666 uh, or the anti-Christian rants from this uh, Devin Erickson guy. And uh, nope, <laughs> still nothing. Um, so that's uh, something. You notice I haven't been in the, uh, since the failed, uh, anti-gun rally. Um, if you notice, there hasn't been a lot of news about this. I think the, uh, city, the Highlands Ranch, um, city council, like, voted for some money or something, um, for, uh, mental health and school safety. But notice that, um, the politicians haven't, you know, try to make this, uh, try to anymore to make something out of this, um, or the Hollywood crowd or anything else. Cause they want to kind of bury this story because there's pieces of it that, um, yeah, don't, uh, once again, don't fit the narrative. And I guess they, this guy, this Erickson, he was like kind of a, kind of a mean guy <laughs> before all this happened. There was a, a story, um, that CNN did run. Um, that, uh, interviewed his friend and he has, this guy has like a history of bullying people and it's like, okay. He even like strangled one of his friends with a rubber tube, like during class or something like that. And the kid had to go home uh, from that. And he would, uh, apparently he would, uh, like walk into a classroom and just announced to everyone, uh, when the pen- pencil hits the floor, I'm going to start shooting. And, you know, kind of playing it off as a joke. And then throughout the class, he would like just like randomly drop a pencil just to kind of like freak people out. And, but <laughs> what happened to all these like anti-bullying, um, programs in school? But see, if you don't, um, the anti-bullying only, um, is only directed at certain groups against certain other groups. So if you're, as we talked about before, if you're oppressed or the ally of the oppressed, then you couldn't possibly be an oppressor. And so he didn't fit the category because he was, uh, at least an ally of the right groups. Um, and so he could get away with his bullying and the harm he caused to people. So that's something. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, so as, uh, things have moved on from there, you notice this, um, you have all these, uh, uh, pro-life bills now passing in these, uh, state legislatures. Uh, Alabama was just the most, uh, recent and they, uh, Georgia too, I think did this and Kentucky. Um, 
And the way they're doing it is with these, you know, heartbeat bills. That if a child has a heartbeat, you can't kill the child. Seems reasonable. Um, and, and I guess, you know, even a majority of Americans are in favor of uh, not allowing abortions if there's a heartbeat. And so w one thing that's interesting about that to me, because I remember back in like the 70s, 80s, and I think this was even part of the Roe versus Wade decision, you know, this whole issue of, well, when is a baby a human versus just a piece of tissue inside the mother's body? And so that canard, that lie has been debunked uh, with DNA and any number of other ways. But, I mean, even, you know, most people in general who still kind of, I think, carry that thought like, yeah, well, we don't really know when a piece of tissue becomes a person. Um, it's pretty evident that when there's a heartbeat, um, that's probably a person because your appendix doesn't have a separate heartbeat. Um, so, so yeah. And yet there's like, you know, Hollywood is outraged and, um, just all these, uh, you have, you hear all these, uh, you know, people just like, oh, this is war. I mean, they're really going after this thing. Um, and I guess someone, some reporter even talked to the Alabama governor, uh, who's a woman who signed this legislation into law and said, yeah, but what, what about, you know, mothers who can't afford, uh, their child, you know, what, what are you going to do to make money available to them? And what, you know, what are, what are they supposed to do? And the governor, um, rightly so, uh, said, you know, in essence, uh, well, uh, money shouldn't determine the value of a human life, which, yeah, um, but even that question is kind of ridiculous because um, people can be poor even after a child is born. And so what if, what if the families, you know, they're doing financially well. And then when the kid is five or the kid is 10, the family or the mother uh, runs into hard times and doesn't have any money anymore. Does that mean if there's not enough money, the child's life doesn't have any value? Should the parents be able to kill the child if they lose their jobs and they can't afford them anymore? I mean, so the, even the whole line of questioning from this reporter was kind of ridiculous because um, families can be poor after a child is born too. And so if if the point the reporter was trying to make was, well, if you can't afford your child, you should be allowed to kill your child before the child's born. Well, what if you can't afford your child after? Uh, what if you could afford your child when the child was born and then X number of years later you can't afford the child? So, you know, so that whole argument that, uh, well, if someone doesn't have enough money to, you know, provide whatever standard of living it is that's expected, um, that somehow that child's life has no value. Um, that just, again, it's all just kind of misdirection. Um, because yeah, like the governor, um, said, it's like, um, money is not the thing that dis determines the value of a person's life, um, nor whether or not, uh, they're wanted by someone, even if that someone is their parents, um, even if their parents don't want them, which, uh, in essence is what abortion comes down to. Uh, parents want their, they don't want to be burdened by a child. Um, so they value their own, 
um, uh, opportunity or ability to not take responsibility for their actions uh, over and above the lives of their children. Uh, so if you're going to go down that path, saying that the parents' priorities are the ones that matter, and the child's life and the value of their life is subservient to whatever the parents' uh, value is uh, on that they put on their own freedom to do whatever they want uh, without responsibility, uh, you can carry things uh, a long way if you go down that path. Um, but again, it's just kind of, it's a childish thing. It's a childish, it's like, I want what I want, and I don't care how it affects other people. Um, and so there's been a lot of that that got me thinking uh, a couple things um, this uh, the last few days about this, because there's been any number of different stories that are um, that kind of illustrate this. And um, you kind of see this with higher education. So uh, one could talk for hours about the childish things one sees in higher education these days. But if you notice these um, issues at uh, like Stanford, excuse me, there was an issue at Stanford, we'll talk about that in a minute, but Harvard, this guy who was, um, I can't remember what they call it, he kind of ran one of the student houses, he's a professor there, um, and he's the... Uh, faculty dean at Winthrop House. Um, Sullivan is the professor, um, and his wife, Stephanie Robinson, uh, which who I think is also uh, affiliated with, uh, uh, with Harvard, but don't quote me on that. Um, so this guy, this professor, he's, uh, I believe, uh, with Harvard Law, um, he joined the legal team for this uh, Harvey Weinstein guy, the Hollywood guy who was assaulting all these women. Um, and so, okay, he's you know he's good. He does this. He this professor. He um, he goes and joins these different um, legal teams. He was on the Michael Brown team um, for the family. Uh, when they tried to, uh, I think, bring a lawsuit uh, over um, over his death. And so he's kind of one of these, like, you know, underdog kind of lawyers. He goes and, you know, does these uh, particular team, uh, uh, particular um, cases um, to, you know, just kind of um, support people's right to have uh, legal representation and good legal or representation. Um, so Ronald Southern, excuse me, I'm butchering this poor guy's name. Ronald Sullivan, he was terminated from his position as dean of this uh, undergraduate dorm because the students at Harvard, some of them, started protesting him for joining this legal team this Weinstein legal team. And they said that it was like trauma-inducing that having him as dean over this dorm somehow traumatized the students because he was on the legal team for this Weinstein guy. And they even, they had an online petition on change.org and, um, 
And I mean, so there's any number um, of things that this says, and apparently this went on for months. Um, and did they say there was litigation? Yeah, by some of the students uh, to try to pressure the uh, the university, and it's just kind of yeah. And so they the university finally relented. But think about what think about what this means. So our whole legal system is predicated on trial by jury and having legal defense, vigorous legal defense. Um, but the before this thing has even gone to trial, the students at Harvard have already determined this guy's guilty, and he may very well be guilty. But we used to have a thing in this country called due process, but these Harvard students have taken it upon themselves to supersede the jury system and trials, and they've already determined that this guy's guilty. And so because this lawyer does what a lawyer is supposed to do and provide a vigorous defense for anybody, anybody who's been charged with a crime, because if you've been charged with a crime, you sure want your lawyer to vigorously defend you and not predetermine the outcome. Well, these students have already determined the outcome and they've determined that this guy is already guilty and doesn't deserve a defense. Uh, doesn't deserve uh, a lawyer, um, doesn't deserve a trial by jury, and that anyone associated with this guy uh, somehow has to pay for doing what lawyers do. So um, we've spoken a lot about totalitarianism on this podcast, but wow, I mean, isn't this, this goes on in Iran when like lawyers defend people that the state doesn't like, and then like bad things happen to the lawyers. Um, or you could be like the Soviet union and get your, you know, government appointed lawyer. Um, wonder whose side, uh, whose side the lawyer's going to be on. I, I mean, it's really weird. This is like, you talk about, um, this kind of fascist idea that like, there's one way to think, and even basic things like trial by jury, I forget about it. Um, the This group at Harvard has taken it upon themselves to basically supersede the entire U.S. legal system. And so what is this? This is mob rule. This is just mob rule. The mob decides who's innocent or guilty. Um, the mob messed up in that whole uh, Smollett thing, though, didn't they? Didn't get that right at first. Um, and so it's just, again, it's, and we, you know, you could, you know, any week you can find a story like this uh, going on at universities. And that, that was the thing over at Stanford. I guess there was a speaker that was uh, supposed to speak uh, something put on by um, like the campus Republicans at Stanford. And there was a group of people that, um, you know, tried to, uh, barricade the hall where this was, this, uh, this whole event was going to happen. They put trash cans, you know, behind the doors so that to make it hard for people to get in, I guess, chain the doors. And then this, I love this. They put like orange juice cups on the floor 
behind the doors so that when people from the outside would push the doors open to get in, they would spill the orange juice cups and the floor would get sticky. (laughs) And so that was their punishment. They would have to walk across a sticky floor. I'm sorry, that is childish. And these are adults. This is Stanford. This isn't like, you know, Evergreen State, that hippie commune that tries to pass itself off as an institute of higher learning. This is like Stanford and Harvard, where stuff like this is going on, where you have small children uh, in adult bodies who, you know, want to spill their juice on the floor as punishment for people. And this is, so this is what happens when parents don't discipline their children. Uh, this is what happens when parents are more interested in uh, being their kid's friend than their parents. Uh, the kid uh, throws a tantrum and then the parent caves and gives them whatever they want. Um, and so when you grow up like that, um, you become an adult and you expect the same thing. And so even if you throw a tantrum at Harvard, um, even, even if you spill your juice on the floor at Stanford, um, the expectation is that if you throw a big enough tantrum, people will relent, um, and let you have your way. Um, (laughs) this is why all this Marxism stuff is totally going to happen in the U.S. because you have uh, at least one generation and probably two who were just spoiled by their parents. And so when their parents uh, go broke and can't retire or just die off, um, there isn't going to be anyone left to take care of them, so they're going to need the government to be their new surrogate parents. Um, and when they want something, they'll just whine and they'll protest in the street and they'll do whatever and they'll get what they want. I look at this uh, campaign that's going on now, right? Free this, free that, free everything else, because kids are used to getting stuff for free. Their parents give them stuff for free. Um, And so, man, um, it probably only takes one or two generations for a society to learn uh, to forget how to raise children. Um, And we may be to that point now. Uh, So, yeah, can you imagine? I mean, how well do you think spoiled children are going to raise their children. Um, the only hope is that the spoiled children parents will be so narcissistic and self-absorbed uh, that their kids will have to learn how to be independent and self-sufficient. Um, and so we can hope. Um, but yeah. And then there was this thing at Google. I have to find the article. I have to refresh the page because they have this like ads going nonstop and this thing keeps flashing at the bottom. I'm, if I, if I get a seizure in the middle of this thing, uh, just be patient. I'll try to come back. Um, this, this, sto- <laughs> this story with this Google thing. So, um, you know, they had that, uh, this is probably a month or so ago where they put together, Google put together some commission on artificial intelligence to make sure that, you know, there was, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, some oversight or some, you know, kind of an internal think tank about how to deal with AI and, um, you know, the responsibility to, you know, use this stuff in a way that isn't terrifying and dangerous. 
maybe beyond that point too. Um, and so they brought in people from the outside um, to do this. And one of the people they brought in, um, let's see, let me get her name, Kay Coles James. She's the president of the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. And I guess this was in April. And they formed this group and then a week later disbanded it. Why was that? Um, because there were people inside of Google, and I think it could have been as few as five people, five people that started um, circulating a petition to ban her because she's a conservative. And so, and this, this is a, this is an impressive lady. Um, she was doing things uh, when she was a teenager fighting for civil rights in the South. Um, she set up um, an institute, the Gloucester Institute, to train and mentor young black leaders. She's a black woman. And um, she's just, she's done all this amazing stuff. And they went after her because she's a conservative. So she's guilty of thought crimes, I guess. But the the rationale they used for all this is the really, really funny stuff. Because the petition, um, it, it called for, it cited a need for this uh, AI panel to address historical patterns of discrimination and exclusion. That was one of the reasons they gave for wanting this black woman to be excluded from this panel. Because the AI panel needed to address historical patterns of discrimination and exclusion. We don't have to look at history. They could look at contemporary patterns of discrimination and exclusion. Um, by wanting to kick this black woman off of this panel because she's conservative and doesn't think like the Marxists inside of Google think. Um, but it kept going. They, they also said in this petition that this AI panel that had only been in existence for a week doesn't hear more feminine voices and doesn't see women of color. It doesn't hear feminine voices. This person is a woman and doesn't see women of color. Um, Mrs. James is a woman of color. And so this was the criticism they used for kicking this woman of color off of this commission because somehow by having a woman of color on this commission, they weren't hearing feminine voices and not seeing women of color. Huh. So there's the breakdown of logic. So these are the smart people um, that are inside of big tech um, that your technology is running on. This is how smart these people are. So, Next time your computer does something you don't expect or your phone does something it shouldn't, um, realize that the people responsible for all this stuff um, don't understand basic logic. So it shouldn't surprise you that they don't understand computer logic either. See how all these dots kind of come together? Um, it's just hilarious. Um, so basically the idea is uh, diversity, quote-unquote, 
means agreeing with the Marxists. Um, and if you uh, don't agree, then there's something wrong with you and you need to be punished. Um, I guess Google just did this with some other group, um, a Claremont Institute, another conservative think tank. They had ads in that that they ran uh, on uh, Google. And they had recently launched a campaign uh, to raise awareness of, you know, censorship and speech codes and threats to freedoms. And um, Google um, banned them. They shut down the ads and they said there'd be no appeal. So you, you can't even appeal this and like say, uh, I think you've made it, you've made a mistake. Um, but then the Claremont Institute, good for them, went public with this and kind of shamed Google. And then Google said that, oh, you know, we made a mistake. And so a mistake in 21st century Marxist America means that they got caught doing something they shouldn't have. That's what a mistake is. Um, not that it was a mistake in the traditional sense, but the mistake was that somehow the cat got out of the bag and people found out what they were doing. Um, so again, this just, it kind of just goes to this whole childish thing. Um, if I don't get my way, if you don't think the way I want you to, um, if you don't believe the things I believe, then I'm going to throw a tantrum and I'm going to get you fired or I'm going to ban your ad so that other people don't find out about you because then there'll be more people who don't think like me. Wah! <laughs> and then these grown children will be surrounded by people who don't tell them that their thinking is the only right thinking and everybody else is terrible and they're wonderful. Who's this guy over in uh, the UK? Uh, what's this guy's name? Sir Roger Scruton? 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 I'm butchering everybody's name. Um, he was fired from a government housing commission be, uh, because he was accused of uh, anti-Semitic and Islamophobic comments. Um and this was after he did an interview with a newspaper or something, the New Statesman. Um, so he was being, a, yeah, it was a newspaper. He was just being attacked, and obviously he lost his position on this panel. And um, people were trying to get uh, the tape of the interview because they record these interviews, and then they write the article. Um, but the paper wouldn't release it. And then someone finally got a hold of one of the tapes. He got a copy of the tape and um, forced the paper to release the transcript. And the words of this guy on the tape didn't actually match the story that had been published. So this paper just out and out lied because <laughs> they didn't like his point of view. So they tried to vilify him and it worked. The guy still hasn't been re reinstated into his, in his position. And so it's, it's really, I mean, this is Germany in the 1930s. There is one way to think. Um, and if you don't think that way, then any number of bad things are going to happen to you. Any number of bad things. 
um, are going to happen to you. And um, it's, it's just this, I, I mean, it's amazing. I could go on. There's, I'm reading an article from Real, uh, Real Clear Politics, and they went after another, a professor, a feminist, um, Camille Paglia. Um, and I guess, oh, this was that story, University of Arts in Philadelphia. Now, to the guy's credit who runs this college, um, uh, he didn't back down. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a group of students, they were protesting uh, against her because I, some things she did, she didn't say her words correctly. And they launched a petition demanding that she be replaced by a, quote, queer person of color, end quote. Um, this Paglia person um, says she's a lesbian and describes herself as transgendered. But she needs to be replaced by a queer person of color. I mean, so even, even the protected groups are like after each other. It's, I mean, that's how juvenile and insane it is. There isn't an ounce of logic in it anywhere. There's just this, again, this totalitarian ideology, impulse, and really ideology or totalitarianism. It's just spoiled children with power. It's just spoiled children who want their way. It doesn't have to make any sense. It doesn't have to be consistent. But if they have power, and if they have street thugs, if they have their brown shirts, if they have their muscle to enforce this, then they get their way. But they didn't get their way with this... uh uh, University of the Arts in Philadelphia. So when you stand up to these people, um, you back, they'll back down. Um, but when you cave like a parent that spoils their child, um, then they keep going farther and farther to the point where they even contradict themselves. The things they're saying don't even, it isn't even consistent. They have a narrative of oppression that doesn't even match the facts. They're, they're, they claim to be defending certain groups, and those are the individuals they're going after because they're not 100% ideologically pure. They may have the right gender, the right skin color, but if they have the wrong ideology, then um, they're attacked. Um, even if it means telling a black woman that um, she doesn't represent black women <laughs> um, and, and saying that um, an LGBTQ person uh, needs to be replaced because they need to be replaced by an LGBT person. <laughs> it's so nonsensical. God has turned this country over to a depraved mind. Um, but it just reminded me of a verse in the Bible. I'm sure you've heard this before. And this was the context of this um, in the Bible as uh, Paul's talking about when um, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, was this chapter 13? He's talking about, you know, when we, when we go to be with Jesus, when, when we, you know, 
after we've been saved and we're out of this life, we're going to see things clearly. Uh, we're going to see uh, Jesus as uh, he is, um, all the things that we know uh, in part um, that we get from the Bible. We're going to see a clearer picture. Um, it was that whole thing about, you know, um, looking through a glass dimly, um, um, but we'll get to see Jesus face to face and we'll know all these things uh, in their fullness. But there's a line in here that he uses that it's interesting because at this time it was taken for granted. It's verse 11. Um, it says, uh, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then it goes on to talk about this. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. But it's interesting in that verse about, uh, you know, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Um, that was an assumption that, yeah, when you're not a child anymore, you don't act like a child. Um, and he was using that as a, a metaphor for uh, what it'll be like uh, when we're with Jesus and we can see things fully, just as a man is supposed to see things fully uh, when he's not a child anymore. Um, but we're a nation of spoiled children who can't even see the things right in front of us clearly. People openly contradict the things they claim to be in favor of. And so, if they can't even see childish things clearly, uh, imagine how difficult it is for them to see the truth of the gospel clearly. That we are all sinners. That we all need forgiveness and salvation and redemption. And that that can only come through Jesus Christ. Because he led the perfect life and offered the perfect sacrifice that none of us could. Simple. But if the mind has been clouded, how can one even see these simple things? And so the devil has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. Um, and we can see it play out in other parts of our society and culture. Um, but it shows how foggy the mind is and how difficult it is to break through that even with the simple truth of the gospel. Because when pride is your God and you are the center of your universe, um, why do you need a savior? Why do you need forgiveness? when you've been told everything you ever do or want is fantastic and anything that contradicts that is wrong and needs to be shut down and silenced and removed. Um, that is a heart that is hardened against the simple truth of the gospel and the wonderful, simple grace of God. You can see how the devil poisons a culture. And while that has implications for our daily lives, our freedoms, 
and all these other things, that poisoned heart, that foggy mind, first and foremost, keeps out the truth of the gospel that all people need. It's an amazing thing to watch. Anyway, that's going to do it for tonight. Tell all your friends about us. Uh, we seem to be getting more and more people listening in. There's a new... I just found out about this, that there's a podcast site, CastBox, um, that I guess has been pulling down these podcasts. And uh, people on there are listening, so... Hello to all you CastBox people. Appreciate you joining us. And, um, yeah, hope, uh, hope, uh, these things, uh, induce some thoughts and some comforts. Um, cause we know God's in charge of all this. Uh, so keep praying, keep studying God's word every night, every night. Pray every day. Uh, be hopeful. Uh, cause God will get us through all this. He'll give us opportunities to share the gospel, even in a foggy world. And, um, he's still saving people. So that's very encouraging. God is so gracious and patient, patient. So anyway, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. God bless everyone. Good night. <music>